Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. I uh, just want to remind you today as we get going this morning that uh, the Version Bible app has uh, notes that you can follow along today. So if that's you, if you want to follow along on your phone, the Version Bible app, if you turn on, make sure your, your, your location settings are turned on and uh, our church will pop up. Click on them and the notes that you see up here, or most of them, will be uh, in the app. One of the things that... Uh, I also wanted to remind you of, I mentioned, wasn't here last week, but I was able to stay connected online. And um, you truly get an appreciation for different areas of ministry that you take for granted, like our, our, our whole tech team back there. Because I was able to be in worship with you and I was able to follow along. And um, as far as the content goes in the, in the spirit of the morning, um, it, was just, it was just impactful. And let me tell you, if you weren't here last week and you didn't watch online, you need to go back and watch. Justin brought it last week. Holy cow. Amen? Amen. Whew. Okay, so this is the year 2023. And who, who thought, well, in case you didn't think that the word of God and John the Baptist's message wasn't relevant for today, it absolutely is. And um, he just did a phenomenal job. I was... I was yelling at the TV and all sorts of stuff that you do at a football game. But it was so cool. We are in the midst of a, a 20-week walkthrough in the Gospel of Luke where, as Justin shared last week, we plan to, we plan to preach through and, and highlight a lot of stories in the Gospel of Luke. But really, this isn't uh, all-encompassing. It would probably take us more like 80 weeks for that or more. Uh, it, is, it is packed full. But... Um, so we, we, we're going to skip, skip ahead from week to week, and we're going to miss some, some key things. So I encourage you to go back and, and read for yourself and, and allow the Lord to, to challenge you. Grow, walk alongside us. 20 weeks is not that long to work through this book. And so um, there's a lot of other resources and, and things that, that, you can, that you can use to, to supplement your time and to, to read uh, the, the, the stories in between the stories uh, that, that we bring to light this week. I apologize to Cole. I have a, uh, I had my 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 tech stuff ready to go, and then my iPad wouldn't connect. So he gets to control my slides uh, for me again today. But I had this illustration of our, our of our series, right? And so you think of like a map, right, on your phone, and as you as you zoom out, you get a large context of everything, and then you zoom in a little bit further, and um, you see less of everything else, but you have more context of what's going on. And then you could zoom in fully, and uh, there's a point, and then even more, and you get the street names, right? And so I think a lot of the ways are, are uh, the Word of God is like that. And so because we're taking 20 weeks and not 80 weeks, we're not zoomed in this far on the Gospel of Luke. We're, we're back a couple steps, okay? And so there's different ways to, to approach your Bible when you read it, but... Um, I just wanted, I, that was just a helpful visual for me because there's things that I'm not going to touch on today. You're like, well, what about this? What about this? Well, well, go study yourself, right? Go study yourself. I'm not here to spoon feed you every week. I'm here to just prop, you know, I'm here to coach, right? And, and encourage you. And that's what I'm here to do. And so 
to bridge last week and this week, uh, a lot of different things happened. And so uh, John is calling people to repentance, right? And, and stuff's happening. And, um, and up until this time, um, Jesus is about 30 years old. It tells us at the beginning of our text today. Um, but it isn't until the, the beginning of John the Baptist, the forerunner of calling people to repentance, that there's this awakening, this movement to God, this, this desire to, to, um, to, uh, to walk in faithfulness with God. And so um, up until this time, though, and I was, I was so, I was so uh, blessed by this this week, um, just thinking through Jesus as a person, okay? Jesus as the guy. He's an ordinary, humble guy working the family building, uh, business, building relationships with people, right? Unlike John in the wilderness, he's not doing that. He's not running around in the wild for the first 30 years of his life. What's he doing? He's day in and day out just doing the next thing, being humble, being quiet. It's said that Joseph, his, his, his dad, uh, died of the household, uh, died at a fairly uh, young age, and so the firstborn of the house, uh, Jesus would have had certain obligations and certain duties to fulfill. Um, and so Jesus had this reputation around town, probably, of, I would imagine, being reasonable, being reliable, being quiet, being humble, uh, normal, unassuming, not drawing much attention to himself. Just a normal guy in Nazareth. And he lived this ordinary life all while waiting, growing, preparing himself for the task that was inevitably before him. But up until then, he grew, he learned, he ate, he slept, he did the things we do. And so when John the Baptist came on the scene and there was this awakening going on, People are hungry, and, and Jesus is, for Jesus, the emergence of John the Baptist, the forerunner, right, of, of him, his emergence from the wilderness and calling people to repentance was his sign. That, yeah, it's, it's time to go now. He sensed it in his spirit. And so when he said yes to being baptized, and he, he, he uh, was baptized by John, um, was it because he had sinned? No. It was... It was more along the lines of this was the, um, the beginning of his ministry where the Spirit had led him and this was really his, his beginning where he would come up out of the water, the Father would anoint him and he would be sent out um, into his ministry, commissioned. And so then, so I'm just, I'm just kind of bridging the gaps here between last week and where we're headed this week, okay? And so he's baptized and then what happens? The Spirit sends him out in the wilderness and what happens is Luke takes a break there and he talks about the genealogy. And again, I love this because in some ways it, it, it affirms the, uh, the prophetic uh, words that had been told, but, but also it, it gives us another glimpse into Jesus' humanity. He's part of a family. He, is, he has a lineage that goes all the way back. And, and so the Gospel of Matthew takes his, limit, his lineage back to Abraham because Matthew was, was, was written to the Jews but, but Luke is different. Luke takes Jesus' lineage 
all the way back to Adam, the firstborn of all creation. Breaking down any, any national or, or racial divide says he's part of the firstborn and he has come for all of you. No longer this select group of people, but Luke was written for Gentiles. I just think it's a beautiful thing. The more we get to understand and the more we understand the perspective of these authors. And so today, we're in Luke 4. So I invite you to open. And guess what? Um, We're straying a little bit here. I finally broke down. I read out of the NASB all the time. So this week, we're, uh, our, our references, our scripture references, the translation are not NIV, they're NASB. Because I just got tired of reading out of, not being able to read out of my Bible and I didn't have a thin line uh, NIV. And so we're going to read out of the NASB. So if it seems a little different, if you're used to following word for word every week and it looks different, that's why, okay? So here, let's read. Chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in that moment in time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me. And I get to give it to whomever, whomever, whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, shall all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God, or you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Number three, and he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and guard you. In their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until the opportune time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it reveals Christ the Messiah to us. That if we've seen Christ, we've seen you. Because he doesn't do anything that he doesn't see the Father doing. So Lord, as I share today, Lord, may the meditations of my heart be pure. Lord, speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here we have the temptation in the desert or the test in the desert. These things. 
two immediate, two immediate impressions I want you to grab a hold of this morning, just in the text overall. Okay, and I already alluded to it uh, today. But first, Jesus was fully human. The text tells us that this man had eaten nothing during this time. And in studying, I've, I've just, I've, I just continue to be struck by the humanity of Jesus. He's not 50% human, 50% God, and so he can just kind of pull from that reservoir and, and play that card. He is fully human, led by the Spirit, and fully God. And, and this is the stuff that leads us to wonder, that leads us to amazement, that leads us to worship, when we understand his humanness and how he's led by the Spirit. And so, so often when we, when we sing, we sing about how he's savior of the world and glorify him, he's magnify him and all these other things. And we should be doing that, but it's only because of, of what we know about him as, as human and how he conquered all of the things. He came to earth, he lived like us, he felt emotions like us, experienced the death of loved ones like us, dealt with temptations of the flesh like us. He knew physical pain like us. He dealt with physical limitations and illness like us. He worked and made an income for his family business like us. He relied on the Spirit to guide him, like we too rely on the Spirit to guide us. He taught us these things. He gave us insight. And it was the Spirit that led him. I had read it this morning, Philippians 2, 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was human, like us, this Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' human life among us taught us what God was like then. This real historical character, part of this family lineage that, that Luke spells out in the passage before. His incarnation, his fleshliness exposes him to the fall of humanity. It was all around him, including the potential for sin and disobedience. And so he did everything like us, except sin like us, except fall short. And so now this, this 30-year-old officially bring, uh, begins his ministry, a ministry that will end in excruciating pain and death, a short ministry of three years. I was thinking about it today. Justin's 30 years old and I'm 34, okay? So the, the, the span of Jesus' ministry is, is, is shorter than the years that we are apart. And it was amazing to me just to, to grab a hold of like, okay, he started his ministry with at Justin's age, and then by the time he's mine, he's, he's, he's long crucified and, and resurrected. And in the meantime, we grab a hold of what he came to teach us. Jesus was 100% human. The second, one I, the second thing I want you to grab a hold of is, it said the Spirit led him into the wilderness um, to be tested. Right? God tests, Satan tempts. And so I want to draw that distinction today as kind of this point number two. Is Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tested in the wilderness. Think ministry readiness. And so you have a, here's the difference between testing and tempting. You have 
uh, a teacher in school, right? And no matter how hard the test is, their motivation for you is that you pass. Their hope for you is that you pass the test, right? You think of the athlete and the coach and the coach that drives that drives the athlete and, and, and trains them up. And what is their motivation? To be the best that they can be, to be all that they were created to be. Their motivation is that they succeed. And so God led Christ into the wilderness to succeed. Yes, he was going to come. Uh, there will be temptations along the way. But it would be through these series of tests. James 1.13 remind us that when you are tempted to do wrong, do not say, God is tempting me. God cannot tempt or be tempted, nor will he tempt anyone. Who's the one that tempts? The enemy, right? Jesus also knew full well that the Spirit was taking him to a place where he would be tempted by the enemy, tempted by Satan. What's the motivation of Satan's temptations? Failure. He wanted Jesus to fail, 100%. He knew who he was. He wanted Jesus to fail. That's why you say, I fell into temptations. But God never tempts us of evil. But he most certainly tests. I hope you've been tested recently. It's a sign of love from the Father. Sometimes we're not aware of the tests, and so we're frustrated and grumble. If you want to be tested this week, pray for patience. Easy place to start. Pray for patience this week. Pray for patience in the car. Pray for patience with your coworker at work. Pray for patience with your two and your four-year-old at home. See how, the God, how, how God tests you. Okay, you want to be patient? Here you go. Now be patient. Exemplify a fruit of the Spirit. He tests us all the time because he tests those he loves. Romans, uh, I, I love this passage in, in, in Romans 5, 3. Right? We also celebrate in our tribulations, our trials, our tests, knowing that these trials, these tribulations, bring about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given it to us. He tests you because he loves you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be all that you can be. And so he tests so we find the man of Jesus being tested. So let's back up. Back up to the top of our passage. As we learn Jesus' first test, the spirit conquers flesh. I want you to see that today. Test one, this is what we take away. The spirit conquers our flesh. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered to him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Satan goes right after the jugular with Jesus in his first sacrifice, or his, his, first, uh, his first tempting of him to suffice a physical need. So he had not eaten for 40 days. It explicitly says that in the text that he was hungry. Jesus had taken the body to its physical extent. I'm sure Jesus was having great difficulty. If you just think about what happens in the physical body, um, experts say that 40 years is, or 40 weeks or blah, 40 days is about, uh, I'm thinking of 40 years in the wilderness and the parallels between his 40 days in the wilderness. But um, 40 days is about the extent the human body could, could possibly go. 
um, with just water, with no food. And so he was experiencing real hunger. I don't know if you've ever experienced real hunger before. I'm a fasting wimp. I have a hard time with, 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 with fasting. I've done some 24-hour, a little bit more than that fast, and have fasted from certain things. But um, do you know what you think about during the whole time when you're fasting? Think about your food. You think about food the whole time. You see, fasting, the stomach, the pleasures that we get with our stomach and our tongue, the tasting, are the greatest pleasures, more than sexual pleasure, more than any other pleasure. Because as soon as you take, one, take it away, see how long you can go without it. And so right away, Jesus is, <clears throat> he's probably hungry, he's, he's in need. But we see him overcome this discipline. He doesn't even flinch. We just talked about spiritual disciplines over the last, the first uh, eight weeks or so since, since Pastor Chip left this last fall. We talked about spiritual disciplines and walked through them and because we know that when we yield ourselves over to the disciplines, we know that it leads to godliness, it leads to holiness, if our motivations remain pure. The passage I shared with you is 1 Corinthians 9. And it's Paul talking about how the athlete conditions his or her body for the race, for the prize, so that they might obtain this perishable wreath. But we, in imperishable, we discipline ourselves. We run in such a way that it's not aimlessly, but we, but I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, he says, I myself may not be disqualified. Paul is saying that there's a spiritual fight going on between flesh and, and, and spirit. And Jesus is, is, is right, and that's the first temptation from, from, from the enemy, right? It's this, hey, do you, choose, do you choose the flesh or do you choose the spirit? Well, by day 40, he had overwhelmingly chose the spirit, right? He was victorious in that. And so he, he didn't even flinch the whole time. But we know that it takes discipline because the body isn't naturally lean. It's not, necessary, it's not naturally strong. That's why we work out. That's why we do these things. So the spiritual test, these training, these tests of a different kind, this battle between flesh and spirit takes discipline. You know, if I were to stand before you and say, I have a strong desire... I really, really think I could uh, play on the field in a college football D1 game. I want it bad, and so I think I could do it. You would say, Ben, you're an idiot. You're a fool. You're weak. You're slow. You wouldn't measure up because your body hasn't been trained. But yet we sit here, and we say, oh, if I just, if I just put in my hour, if I just put in my 30 minutes of getting... Then, then we think we'll grow spiritually. That it takes nothing more than just sitting here, just like we'd watch a college football game. I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to absorb it, I'm going to understand it, I'm going to learn, and then I'm just going to kind of go out and, and forget and move on to the next thing. Not at all. Because the spirit and this flesh and this battle is constantly going on. And day in and day out, consecrating our mind is what it takes 
to be ready, to be prepared for the spiritual battles and warfare that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 and that exists and that we see in Jesus' life. It's foolish to think that we can grow spiritually by simply being passive. And yet we try. So Jesus passes this test. It wasn't even an issue. His flesh had long been conquered by the Spirit. He had learned to discipline his body to obey the Spirit. His appetite was the Spirit more than bread. He craved the Lord. He craved the things of the Father more than the flesh. I'd imagine he probably will we'll end with the Lord's Prayer today. And it's beautiful to read that, to pray that in light of what he is facing. I imagine in the desert, in these 40 days, he just continued. Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. You give me my daily bread. You give me all that I need. You sustain me. Guard me against the temptations of the enemy. Because yours is the kingdom and the power. You see him praying these things probably for strength. So test number one was the discipline of the spirit over flesh. The full human Jesus demonstrated that this is an exceptional way. And the reason that I'm focusing mostly on the fact that, because we have to come to terms with his humanity and appreciation for his humanity, otherwise we use it as a cop-out. Well, he was, he was, he was Lord, so, so he could do it and we couldn't. Yeah, there were certain things that he was destined to, that he could only do. But then at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he says the advocate's coming and you'll see greater things in this. The spirit in us. Test number two. Let's read it. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me and I will give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship before me. It shall all be yours. And Jesus replied, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan is offering Jesus here this shortcut. He's tempting him to compromise. He's saying that you can have all the kingdoms of the world immediately. You can still fulfill your agenda. You can do good in the world. You know, you're a good guy. You can use my power and, and, and do things. If you just worship me, yield over to me. You could still bring about a lot of your agenda, trying to manipulate him, trying to cause him to compromise. And the world is Satan's domain until Christ's return. So I can give you this power now. He tries to manipulate, tries to encourage him to, to, to make a shortcut. And how easy it is for, for Satan to, to corrupt the hearts of humanity the way he manipulates and entices us with instant gratification, right? 
And so this is what he was doing. He was saying, forego the cross, forego, forego uh, the humility, the sacrifices. I'll glorify you right now. I'll make, people, I'll, I'll make people forcibly bow before you. You know, I couldn't help but think of just how much we love instant gratification. And how this temptation for us we love fast food. We love the temptation to get rich quick and the diet that requires no work from us. You just take a pill. And uh, machines, I've seen machines that even work your muscles out for you while you're sitting there. That's what I want. I love that. But we know that's all just a fool's errand, right? That's not real. It looks good on face value. Satan knows that too. But he's trying to trick. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to get Jesus to settle. And again, I'll remind you, there was no, like, hesitation. Christ responded to him right away. No, worship the Lord your God alone. But see, number two, the Spirit purifies our motivation and secures our fidelity. When we're walking with the Spirit, our motives are pure, right? When we say, break my heart for what breaks yours, when we say, um, uh, you know, you, you trust God and he gives you the desires of your heart. Well, what happens is when you fall in line with him, you fall in line with his will for you, so then his desires for you become yours, and that's how he gives you the desires of your heart. And so what it does is it purifies our motivations. Our motivations are pure. They're not split between spirit and flesh. We're, 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 we're focused only on him. And when our motivations are pure, it secures our fidelity. We're, we're, we're only unto him. We're only under him, not the distractions of, of this world. The Spirit purifies our motivations against the sort of temptation and, and secures our fidelity to God, our creator. William Barclay writes this. The temptation shows us that Jesus choosing once and for all the method by which he proposed to seek to win men to God seek to win all people to God. It shows us Jesus rejecting the way of instant power and glory and accepting the way of suffering and the cross. Once and for all, tested and remain true. Number three, the Spirit knows a counterfeit. When we walk in the Spirit, we get to understand, we begin to understand what's real and what's almost real. Verse nine, and he brought him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will give you angels, uh, his angels ordering orders concerning you to protect you and on their hands, they will lift you up so you do not strike your foot against the stone. It's kind of true. But it's not. He's quoting a messianic psalm here, Psalm 91. Jesus answered him and said, it has been stated, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test him. And so verse 13, when the devil had finished every temptation, he led him, he left him until the appropriate time. You see him come up later. Tricky, tricky devil. Trying to manipulate. Trying to twist scripture on Jesus like that trying to say a half-truth 
Jesus knows better. He knows better because he knew the word of God. You see, back to our spiritual disciplines. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. To know scripture is to know God. Jesus knew his scripture. That's how he was able to withstand that. He said, no, this is off. This is what it is, and you don't test God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It was a passage from Deuteronomy. See, the danger of evil is sometimes found in its similarities to good. The danger of evil is that it masquerades as the right path sometimes. Is it okay to question God from a sincere heart motivation? Absolutely. God, what are you doing? God, I see this happening. Show me what you're trying to do. But to say to God, God, if I don't see a miracle, I'm not going to believe in you. That's from a heart, a posture of unbelief. You, never believe, you don't believe in him then. There's a difference here. And it's all in the motivations of our heart. You see, the Israelites weren't sure that God would come through. And so that's what, his, that's what his response was to him, or to them. Don't test me. They had seen him do so many things, provide manna for them, and yet still questioned him? How do we combat misused and misinterpreted scripture? By knowing it for ourselves. Don't take everything I tell you at face value. Go, seek for yourself. Check these things. Challenge me. I love it. That's how we grow. That's how we edify one another. When we focus on him, it secures our, our fidelity to him. The right him. And so Jesus leaves. Satan, flee, Satan leaves in verse 13. Jesus has passed the test for ministry preparedness. He's being sent out now to go into Galilee Proclaim the work of the Lord, and Jesus left the desert with clarity. You see, fasting brings clarity on the back end. It may be difficult in the meantime, it may be hard. It creates perseverance. I had a pastor once share that, that the fasting is kind of like um, during the fast, it's like a plane climbing to altitude. It's risky, it's difficult, it's hard, it takes a lot of intentionality. And then, it, and then it, it, it plateaus and it cruises and there's a sense of clarity, there's a sense of peace. You can see things cleaner and clearer. More fine-tuned. And so as Jesus started his public ministry on the back end of this, where he would preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim the release of the captives, recover the sight of the blind, and the spirit and flesh, and set free the oppressed through the good news of the gospel, he does this through a place of being ready, being prepared. 
being tested by God, withstanding the enemy, passing with flying colors, ready for all that God has ahead of him in his three-year ministry. So as we close this morning, invite Sarah back up. I'm going to close by reading the Lord's Prayer over you this morning. As a declaration, as a petition to God, but I want to slow walk this. I want to take it line by line, praying these things over you this morning. I grew up in the church where we, we recited the, the, whole, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer every week. And I loved it. And I understand, I understand that it lost its impact in the hearts of people because it turned into just a, another thing to recite. And so unfortunately, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. The Lord's Prayer is such a beautiful thing. I'm going to pray it over you today. And after that, we're going to end just refraining magnify. Just singing what we sang at the end. Because when we, when we realize that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, Jesus Christ, fully human, and we see all that he conquered through the power of the Spirit, and now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Our response is just to worship. Say, wow, thank you, Father, that you would think this much of me to send your Son to die for me, to take my place, to do what I could never do on my own. Here's my life. Here's my life. So we pray this morning, I want to pray this over you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we acknowledge that your name is holy, that you are set apart, that you are other. Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because of your holiness, because you are holy, I align myself with you and your will for me and your desire and your affections and your desire that is made known in your word, Lord, on earth as it is, as it is in heaven as, you, as you've shown me, God. Give us this day our daily bread. God, our reminder that you are the one who sustains, you provide, both in salvation through the bread of life with spiritual food through the word of God as well as provider of my daily needs. Lord, you've counted the hairs on our head. Not a bird and not a sparrow falls to the ground without your acknowledgement how much more do you care for us and give us all that we need. Forgive us of our trespasses. In light of who you are, it leads us to forgiveness. We're seeking forgiveness 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we are unworthy to be found in your light. But because you forgave, I can forgive others. I've sinned against you more than anyone could possibly wrong me. And because of that, teach me to practice forgiveness. Show me what that looks like, God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. A life following after you leads us away from the things that might lead us into sin. Pursuing the flesh and points us towards holiness, righteousness. Spirit, guide me the way you guided Jesus in the wilderness. Help me to withstand temptation by the strength of the Spirit. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I pray this acknowledging that you are Lord over all and in all. You are all powerful and deserve all the glory. So let it be. Let it be, we say. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's respond. The Spirit of God is in us. This is just a natural respond for us to magnify, to worship as we go today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.